In 10 years time, how will humans make a living? How drastically will technology have changed our country and our jobs? Will we have automated public transport or cars that hover above the ground? Will it be normal to turn lights, televisions and toasters on using only our voice? Will robots like C-3PO or Wally move out of the film world and join humans in the workforce? And if they do, what will we need to help people whose jobs have become obsolete? Welcome to Ireland 2029, Shaping Our Future. We're partnering with Volkswagen to look at 10 big ideas that could transform Ireland over the next 10 years. This week, we're looking at giving everyone in Ireland a universal basic income. As technological advances allow us to make everyday tasks easier and faster, should we give people a set amount to live on so those whose jobs are most at risk from automation aren't left in the lurch? I'm your host, Grania Nier, and this is Ireland 2029, Shaping Our Future. Basic Income Ireland have been promoting the idea of a universal basic income for some time now. So let's hear from their treasurer, Louis Smith. Why should we introduce it? What would happen if you started getting a guaranteed payment of €200 every single week, with no strings attached? What would change? You would have more money. That's a good start. You would probably spend more, save more, maybe invest more. If you're struggling to pay your bills, trying to save for a deposit, or worrying about your pension, the extra cash would lift a weight off your shoulders. If you work, you would be in a much stronger position to negotiate pay and conditions, or take the risk of trying out a new job. You could take time off work altogether, to further your education, start your own business, care for a relative. Now, what would happen to our society if everyone was given this payment? We would have a social safety net that everyone could rely on, it would eradicate poverty and economic insecurity, inject spending power into rural communities, and Irish society would have less to fear from automation, tech disruption and the disappearance of jobs. Because we would have a society of empowered workers, learners, entrepreneurs, creators, parents and carers with improved quality of life for all. That's the vision of Basic Income Ireland, and we intend to make it a reality by 2029. Sitting at the mic next to me is senior reporter with the Journal.ie, Michelle Hennessy, who is also producing this episode of Ireland 2029. So, Michelle, what is a universal basic income? Right. So a universal basic income uh, guarantees every citizen a certain amount of money from the state without any requirement to work. So it's like a form of welfare payment, a cash payment every week usually, uh, but everybody would get it. Um, so it wouldn't just be for certain groups like people who are unemployed, parents, people living with a disability, like the kind of welfare system that we have at the moment. And it's an idea that we've been talking about more and more in recent years. In fact, one of the US presidential candidates, Andrew Yang, he's a Democrat, uh, has it as one of his policies. So if current politicians are, are having them as policies, have we actually done it anywhere? Well, nobody has actually done it, you know, all across the country for an extended period of time. There have been some uh, small experiments, about 30 of them, with the, this uh, UBI, as it's known, programme across the world in the last 50 years. Um, so that includes a number of states in the US, some African countries like Kenya and Uganda. Uh, they tested it in Brazil and in India and in Iran. And one of the examples that's often cited is this trial in Finland, which which was fairly recently. The government uh, did this for two years with a, a random sample of 2,000 
unemployed people aged between 25 and 58. And they were paid 560 euro a month and they didn't have any requirement to seek or accept work during that time. So anyone who did actually take a job during that time continued to receive the money on top of their universal basic income. And um, the government there decided to end this trial in January this year. And they've actually introduced legislation making some benefits for unemployed people contingent on taking training or working more than 18 hours in three months. So they've kind of gone back after doing this trial to that more traditional type of, of welfare system. And um, I should point out this scheme wasn't exactly universal basic income as the payments were made to a restricted group. It was only for unemployed people rather than for everybody or for people who were already working at that stage. And it also wasn't really enough to live on either. And the point is that it's supposed to be a basic income. Everybody could afford to live on it without having to work. One of the experts involved said two years is too short a period to be able to draw any extensive conclusions. But they did find that people involved said their stress levels went down. uh, And because the welfare systems were less bureaucratic than they were before, they actually had more trust in institutions and in their own future ability to work. All right. So Finland is actually one of the most developed countries in the world. And you mentioned other countries like Kenya and Uganda, where it's tried, Mm. where there'd be a much broader uh, base of people below the poverty line. Would it work better in those kind of countries? Well, the Kenyan program is an interesting one because it's it's uh, not state run. It's actually run by an NGO called Give Directly. And this program was launched in 2016. The plan is to run it for 12 years. So this one, if it does actually run for that long and nothing interferes with it in that time, should give us a, a very good indication of whether this can work because it's so long term. And they're trying a few different models, including one group where people get all the money up front in a lump sum. Um, and they also have a control group of villages that aren't receiving cash transfers. So they'll have a good comparison there as well at the end. Short-term results of it so far indicate that there were significant improvements in psychological well-being and in food security, which is an interesting one because that's quite a big deal in a country like Kenya. But it's found no improvements in health, education or female empowerment in comparison with the control groups. So, I mean, we'll really need to look at this at the end of the 12 years. I mean, we'll have to do another podcast episode in 12 years time to look back at it. Yeah, So, but there's obvious uh, benefits looking at that um, from the surface. Immediate concerns come to mind, though, particularly in Ireland, where people say you'd be better off if you worked a bit less because the the state would give you more in the welfare system through the welfare system we have. So if we're giving people enough to live off outright, does that mean there will be less people working? And would we have enough people to fill the jobs that we need? That's one of the big concerns. And that's one of the main arguments against it, that fewer people will work and that you know, those without jobs won't be motivated to get a job because they're already being paid enough to live on. Although there was a Harvard analysis of seven trials um, of government run cash transfer programs in developing countries and that found that there was no systematic evidence that they discourage work. But all of these things are based on short term trials. So, you know, it's hard to have a definitive um, result for that. There's another reason people give for being against it and that's that it's basically a waste of money to pay uh, a basic income to wealthy people and that the current welfare uh, systems that we have now with payment that are targeted transfers like unemployment benefit, housing grants, actually benefit the vulnerable groups, the lower income groups better. And, you know, you're not essentially just giving extra money from uh, from tax to wealthy people who already have enough to live on. There's also an argument that crime, drugs and other social issues will increase because people maybe feel they don't have as much meaning. Um, they're not getting that sort of social circle, the kind of social skills that you get from working. So that's a good overview and a quick look at the pros and cons. I'm now going to move to a chat I had with Louis Smith from Basic Income Ireland, who we heard from earlier, about what exactly Universal Basic Income hopes to do. 
If you give someone money, you can uh, take them out of poverty. Right? So that's that's one kind of problem that, that that we know how to fix. There's a separate problem of economic insecurity. So so not knowing if you will have money in the the future is is quite a distinct problem, and that's that's the main thing it seeks to solve. It also, you could think of it as a social safety net. So the, the lowest uh, you can fall within a society should be a dignified existence uh, where you, 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 you know, nobody should live in destitution. It's not in, it's not in your interest that you're surrounded by people living in destitution. So it's, it's about lifting everyone up to above a certain level uh, with, the, with an unconditional income. What's the difference, say, between doing that, you know, giving everyone a basic amount to live off? So you'd assume they'd be hitting the the living wage um, so they have enough to live off. It's not just 20 euro a week or something like that. Uh, And having a quite um, financially, well, financially supported social welfare system the way we do now, where people are kind of means tested. Yeah. So there's a few things that go wrong when when you have a means tested social welfare system. the, the first is that the relationship between the recipient and, and the the arbitrator is a is a is, is a hostile one, right? So so the arbitrator comes in, whoever it is, whether it's a welfare sort of clerk or, or whatever, whoever it might be, and they have to judge whether the person is honest and uh, worthy, and whether they're really looking for a job or whether they're uh, you know lying. And and and, and historically, that has extended to judgments made about how people are spending their money. The next big problem is that in most welfare systems, it's it's difficult to maintain an incentive to work always, right? So at the moment, uh, if you were on the dole and uh, you're getting maybe 200 euro per week, and if you got uh, offered a, a small part-time job for 100 euro a week, and you took it, your dole would go down by 100 euro a week, right? So your net increase in income would be zero. And, and what's interesting is that people actually do accept work under those circumstances generally, but the incentive to work is, is highly, highly diluted. And that should not be the case. It should always pay more for you to accept paid work. If you are going to, in, you, you talked about winning people over, that seems like quite a crucial part, say, of introducing something like a, a basic income where you have to have the public on board because at the end of the day, to introduce it, won't you need to increase taxes? to just kind of finish that in total, who's going to pay for, for social uh, universal basic income? I, I think the first question we have to ask is uh, what it is we want to achieve, right? Do, you know, do we want to eradicate poverty? And, and the answer, I would hope, is yes. So we have to be clear that the, the payment question is, is a secondary question. Uh, basic Income Ireland, uh, most recent proposal, uh, Model D, I believe it's called, uh, proposes... Uh, 192 euro per week paid for within the existing tax framework. Uh, so it would have a, a lower administrative uh, sort of burden than, than um, something more radical. And uh, paid for really through a sort of a, a, a consolidation of existing uh, income tax and PRSI and also a cleanup of, of the exemption system around what you pay income tax on. The pharmacist, uh, job seeker benefit and illness benefit, they would likely go, but they would be replaced by the, the basic income, which in most cases should be higher. Right? We would propose that for anyone who is currently higher on the older system, they should stay on the older system. And child benefit is a separate question. So that, that would be not touched by, by that system, by that proposal. One of the criticisms of UBI is that it will decrease our motivation to work. So for example, if you're getting 190 euro a week and you decide to start working part time, 
and you get taxed at 40% of that to pay for UBI, is that not a disincentive to go out and work? The, the first thing is we can say with, with some certainty that in the trials of basic income around the world, including most recently in, in Finland, it has been demonstrated that for most groups, uh, giving an unconditional basic income does not make you less likely to go out and get work. Right? And uh, there are two groups, in fact, that the evidence suggests are less likely to work. The first is new mothers, and the second is young adults of school-going age. Now, I would argue that that's a good thing, that both of those groups are, are, uh, are empowered to make a decision of whether or not they want to work. Uh, generally speaking, work and, 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 and the purpose and social relations and, and the social role it gives you is hugely important and it will continue to be hugely important. And people will continue to compete for jobs, they'll continue to compete uh, for a, a way for them to contribute to society. Uh, and to to form communities and form uh, expertise. That's that's all part of human nature. Giving them a safety net doesn't really change any of that. And in ter- this, this idea that, you know, people will sort of be happy at a certain income level and, and stop seeking more, we've never seen it anywhere else. People, people will always look for more money uh, if there's a, a, a way for them to get it. The best thing we can do is empower people economically. You, you know, if, if you have a choice between working and non-working, then you're in a much stronger position, regardless of what the, what the legis- legislation says. How likely is it that we could do something like this? We've seen kind of proposals by Fianna Fáil, there's a Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil, weird coalition going on at the moment. So how likely do you think it is that Ireland introduced something like this, even a trial like this in the next 10 years? I think Ireland has form on, on trying out radical ideas. You know, the, we introduced a, a smoking ban at a national level at a time when you know, most people who, who had an informed view of it knew it was a good idea. But to, to take that step of actually like running with it uh, was a big one. And, and it's one that we took and it worked. And after we did it, countries across the world did something similar. Um, we did our the plastic bag tax is the other one we're always very proud of. So, you know, there are some interesting things we could do in Ireland if we wanted to start with the pilot scheme. We could... Uh, give a basic income to all the residents of an island on the western seaboard, for example. Uh, and that would be a nice contained experiment. And I think uh, I think there would be value to, to, to try it within our cultural context. But overall, you know, we're, we, we can afford it. We, we would benefit from it. Uh, and I think it's something that we could be really proud of as a country to, to get the ball rolling on globally. So we've heard from Louis there about the benefits of universal basic income, and there's a lot of left-wing thinkers that back that idea. But they have support as well from unusual quarter, the tech industry. Here's Mark Zuckerberg talking to Harvard students in 2017. Today, we have a level of wealth inequality that hurts everyone. When you can't, when you don't have the freedom to take your idea and turn it into a historic enterprise, we all lose. And right now, today, our society is way over-indexed on rewarding people when they're successful, and we don't do nearly enough to make sure that everyone can take lots of different shots. If I had to support my family growing up instead of having the time to learn how to code, if I didn't know that I was going to be fine if Facebook didn't work out, then I wouldn't be standing up here today. We should have a society that measures progress 
not just by economic metrics like GDP, but by how many of us have a role we find meaningful. We should explore ideas like universal basic income to make sure that everyone has a cushion to try new ideas. We're all going to change jobs and roles many times, so we need affordable childcare to get to work and healthcare that's not tied to just one employer. And we're all going to make mistakes. So we need a society that's less focused on locking us up and stigmatizing us when we do. And as our technology keeps on evolving, we need a society that is more focused on providing continuous education through our lives. So we're back in studio now with Journal.ie reporter Michelle Hennessy. What do you make of that clip? We hear a lot from from the tech industry, from the big names in the tech industry, when they're being asked about this idea of automation replacing humans. But from Zuckerberg, we were really hearing about it um, as a way of giving people a leg up. And he was speaking to the, the Harvard students uh, about, you know, their futures as potential entrepreneurs, um, if they were aspiring to be like him. And he said that if he hadn't had the space uh, to do the work on on Facebook and to just dedicate all of his time to developing it, that he wouldn't be where he is today. So he was saying, you know, universal basic income could be something that for creative people, for entrepreneurs, for, for people like him working in the tech industry, that if they're able to work on these projects, these ideas that they have, and, you know, try and fail in, in some cases, but eventually maybe succeed and succeed in a really big way like he did, if they have this safety net, it'll allows people to take those risks. So the tech industry is in favour of UBI to promote creative thinking and uh, left-wing thinkers are in favour of it as well as a solution to tech industries making jobs like bank workers and public transport drivers obsolete. Ahead of the Industrial Revolution, though, we had a lot of the same arguments and afterwards we went through a period of depression, probably best known as Dickensian England. And there was a lot of poverty and depravity and general illness around that time. And UBI is one of the solutions that we're looking at to avoid that in our not too distant future. But Ian Golden, an economist and a professor with the University of Oxford and a regular Financial Times contributor, has called it fiscally irresponsible and a red herring to solving poverty. We asked him why. Universal basic income uh, really is one way of dealing with broader social problems. And I'm absolutely committed to tackling the issues, which are homelessness, inequality, unemployment, uh, poverty, uh, and so on. So I believe that we need uh, very strong interventions to deal with those issues and to support people that need help from society, and that taxpayers and the wealthy should do that uh, through the government systems. I don't think that universal basic income is the most effective way to do it. And I think that it can actually undermine uh, our achievement of some of these objectives. Universal means universal. That means everyone gets it. Billionaires get it. People that don't uh, need it get it. That's what universal means. And I believe that uh, people, as a result, get less. I did a calculation that if you paid everyone in the UK uh, the living wage, you would end up exceeding the total government expenditure on everything. That's housing, health, defense, justice, and everything else. There's just not enough money to go around. 
So the only way it becomes affordable is to give people much lower levels of support. Uh, the OECD in, in Paris has done great work on this, and it shows that uh, poverty goes up. And the reason is that you reduce your expenditures on child benefits, on housing benefit, on unemployment benefit, on disability benefit, on single parent benefit, and other benefits. So the deserving people who really should be getting more money get less, and the rich people uh, get more. I think that giving billionaires money, giving rich people money uh, when poor people desperately need it uh, is something I don't ethically support. I believe that we should design our systems to be uh, leg up to work, uh, not a payout uh, to stay at home, and that that is a patronizing way to think about a welfare system, that some people will work and others uh, won't work. I'm going to pick up on one specific thing you said there first, which is that, you know, we need to think about the future of work because this is what it all boils down to. There's a reason why so many governments are trialling this model. There's a fear there that there's not going to be enough jobs to go around anymore as technology advances continue. So is it that a scheme like this could work in some sort of form and we just haven't got it quite right yet? Well, I believe that we that we need decent, we need to set as a minimum for our societies uh, that everyone has a decent life, that everyone uh, can afford food, uh, that everyone has housing and so on. That means tax, that means spend, that means focusing government on um, being more inclusive, creating inclusive societies. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> Ireland has to ask itself the question about being a low-tax haven uh, for corporations. Uh, which I think is a big, big problem, uh, not only for Ireland, but it's a problem in terms of being part of the race to the bottom globally on taxation. We need to end that race to the bottom uh, on taxation. Uh, otherwise, there's no way we can create more inclusive societies in Ireland or elsewhere. But there's still huge levels of uncertainty, not only about which jobs will go, but where and when. Uh, and of course, where there's even greater uncertainty is what's next. What are the new jobs that are going to come? So I'm back in the studio with Michelle. And just before we take a look at the journal.ie's great 2029 forecasting machine, I'm going to ask you, Michelle, is this something that Ireland has looked at seriously in implementing? Well, it is actually something that Bertie Hearn's government um, had considered in the late 90s. Um, they set up a working group to look at the viability and suitability of introducing this kind of system. And there, there was a, um, a report that was published in 2002 on it, but they ultimately never did it. Um, and Minister Regina Doherty has indicated when she's been asked about it, even just earlier this year, that she would not be in favour of introducing a universal basic income. Now, more Recently, uh, she was also asked uh, about the, the next budget, about whether she would be in favour and whether she might consider uh, giving five euro per week extra to welfare recipients. And she's not even in favour of doing that. So here's what she said. That doing specific targeted measures to address people who are living in consistent and persistent poverty, or at least at risk of poverty, is far more beneficial when you only have a certain amount of money to spend. And Joe is right. If we keep continuing doing the fiver across the board for everybody, 
first of all it kind of diminishes in the value but second of all it doesn't actually hit the people who really need the attention from the state the most and so those 120,000 children who are living in consistent poverty they don't get helped by a fiver across the board they get helped by targeted increases in the qualified child payment they get helped by school meals programs and school books in their school and increasing the uniform and school uh, clothes cost that's how you target money to have the maximum impact in my humble opinion when you haven't got billions of euros Okay, so let's take what Regina Doherty said just there and all the other ideas from our contributors and put them in the great forecasting machine, Michelle. Shall I fire it up? Please do. Right, here we go. That seems to be on. This machine gives me terrible anxiety. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. <laughs> all right, that looks to be working. Here's the verdict. All right, I'll let you read it. There you go. Okay. Drum roll, please. Um, the verdict is not a hope. Right, well, that's not surprising. Well, no, especially because <laughs> this is looking at the next 10 years and we're not even looking at studies yet. Or we haven't any studies, you know, yeah. started into it. I mean, one of the things um, I think that was clear from looking at the other pilots that have been done around the world, uh, there just really isn't enough evidence for it. A lot of the pilots were focused only on groups of people who were already unemployed. So they, it wasn't really universal, universal basic income that they were doing. It wasn't, you know, paying everybody in a country or everybody even in a city, you know, the, the same amount of people who were working, people who were not working, people who were stay-at-home mothers or, or and so forth. I think Louis Smith's idea of doing it on a small island here where everybody would be paid. Um, so that That's would great. be unemployed people who are unemployed and people who are working is a really interesting idea. I mean, for curiosity purposes, purely, I would love to see that happen just to see, you know, what, what would come out of it. It seems like a great idea. The other thing is like Irish people have in the past been quite... Um, hostile towards new taxes mm. and then you're talking about something quite outlandish being introduced you really would have to have some sort of PR campaign or information campaign to get the public on board for, for something like this um, because we saw what happens when they tried to impose something that people really didn't want and it came out of the blue before the other thing about it is Ireland is also notorious. Other thing about taxes in Ireland is the tech companies here in Ireland and it seems a bit jarring that you would have tech uh, CEOs saying governments need to implement this when they're not paying t the right amount of tax mm. here and in other countries and other jurisdictions themselves that would go towards welfare payments of the citizens in the countries that they're based in. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that uh, Mark Zuckerberg in his speech in Harvard uh, was uh, asking the question, you know, who, who should pay for this? And he, he said, people like me should pay for it. But I think he meant people who earn a lot of money should be paying, you know, let's say more income tax. He wasn't saying Facebook should be paying for it. Mm. Um, yeah, it seems pretty complex. The other element I was thinking about it is how many jobs are we going to lose to mm. companies like Facebook? How many jobs are going to be automated, say, in a couple of years time? Because these are all kind of forecasts and projections and the assumption that these people won't reskill to do something more suitable. So say if you're not um, on the floor, you that you might be overseeing something at home in an online capacity that might suit people who want to be carers, who don't want to work as often anyway. At the end of the day, though, what the government wants is what really matters. They're the ones that need to introduce a pilot, that need to legislate for this, and that crucially need to bring the public on board so that 
We support such drastic tax increases and welfare payments to everyone. And based on that clip from Regina Doherty earlier, we're a long way off that. Thanks for listening to the fifth episode in this 10-part series on Ireland 2029. This episode is brought to you by producer Michelle Hennessy, presenter Gráinne Nier, series producer Orla Ryan, editor Andy Roberts and executive producer Christine Bohan. Thanks to Paula Lyon and our contributors for this week's episode and to Harvard University for use of its audio. Ireland 2029 is a podcast from the journal.ie, supported by Volkswagen. It's time for electric cars for the people. Discover the future of electric mobility with the Volkswagen ID family at volkswagen.ie.